Hey, Benji. Hey, Jay. And we're just wrapping up, cleaning up from the Passover holiday and trying to get myself back into gear for work and regular life. The holiday was such a high, but how do I just get my, my feet back on the track? It's, it's a great question and something that I personally, and I imagine everyone around the table, you know, is dealing with after our, uh, those highs from those spiritual moments. But there's a, there's a real direct and inverse correlation between the intensity of the ecstatic experiences we have over the, the holidays and these spiritual moments. I think Jack Cornfield has a book called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. Like we always, it's part, it's part of the way the Lord created it. And it's, you know, that familiar pattern of running and returning the in and the out breath, right? It's part of it. And we start to wonder, was it even worth it to have that high to begin with? Because the lows we hit can get really down. And uh, we've seen this pattern before. We see it, we see it in, our own, in our own traditions, in our own uh, teachings. And it's something that we definitely uh, can talk about. Great. Well, we'll get into that in today's episode of Mindful Work the podcast. What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein key industry executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back uh, to Mindful Work, the podcast where we take a look at uh, mindfulness at work through a Jewish lens. With us today, as always, our Rabbi, spiritual advisor, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, author of Living in the Presence, a Jewish mind. PhD. Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, a law father of Living in the Presence, a Jewish mindfulness guide for everyday life. Best-selling five-star book at uh, Amazon. Go pick it up. Uh, Sold in bookstores globally. Also with us today, Rabbi Jason Rosen author of an email to me yesterday and and recently promoted high-tech executive here in the state of Israel. Amazing dude and uh, award-winning educator, which I often forget and leave out. So uh, amazing dude. And my name is Dan Cohen, longtime CEO of Full Court Press Communications, a marketing and PR firm based in the Bay Area. What we try to do here is bring three things together, uh, mindfulness, through a Jewish lens with an idea of how we bring those learnings into our workforce. What we wanted to talk about today was everyday holiness. What is it? How do we do it? How do we bring it all together? And Benji, I wonder if you'd maybe uh, pick a spot in the book where we could start the conversation about how we can make that email or for those of us who still send faxes or those telephone calls or those relationships we have at work, how we can make them holy every day. Can, can we define holiness? For sure. That, that, that's your expertise, my friend. I think, well, it's funny. Holiness is often taken to be removed or separate. Mm-hmm. But really, it's the converse of, of, you know, we talk about a chil Hashem, a desecration of God's name, but chilul, the Hebrew word chalal is space, where there's, there's, there's something missing. And so when we do a kiddush Hashem, which could be at any opportunity in both spiritual and 
quote unquote, mundane matters is when we are sanctifying this moment with, with awareness and presence and recognizing that what we're doing right now is exactly what we should be doing. There's no better or worse and there's no holier or profane when what we're doing, when we're really tapped in to what the moment requires of us. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at work as some sort of substandard way of, of service, as opposed to sitting in the, in the you know, synagogue uh, on the holiday, then we've missed the boat. Sure. Because when you're in prayers, prayer. And when you're at work, recognize that that is your way of, of service. So in those moments, you can find the way to be, you can choose, excuse me, the mindfulness portion of this is you can choose to use those interactions with your clients, with your customers, with your coworkers to be close to Hashem, or you can use those moments to put chilul, space between you and your clients or customers. Right, and believe there's a distinction and believe that this is moment is devoid of any real meaning. And it's like, what am I doing this for? What's the point? It's just, you know, it's just another business deal or it's just an irritated customer when I could be doing something so much more sublime or so much more meaningful. Sure. And the, the paradigm of this is our forefather, Abraham, because Abraham comes down from the mountain and he is sitting at his tent and he's having a communion with God. God appears to him just because to check in on him because they're boys. And instead, what he does to our astonishment if you're familiar with the story, is he sees three, what he believes, heathen travelers. And he says, hey, God, can you wait? And I, I you know, imagine speaking to a wow. CEO, speaking to uh, uh, Rosh Hashiva. a Rosh Hashiva, yeah. a Rosh Hashiva or an important client, yeah. and your kid calls you on the phone. And I have a great story from Rav Weinberger, which has informed my personal life, where he talks about he had a rough day in school. This is the laundry story? This is the laundry story. We've already shared this with our listeners, so go back and check on episode three. I think it's just... just, just No, but it's it's true. It's it's each of those moments we, we can make a choice. And I love that. I love the visual of, of of Abraham saying, "Hey God, can you just hold on one second? I have to go do Chesed right now. Right. I have to go do. Remember that thing you told me I needed yeah. to do that Chesed? But it's, I got to go do it. It's right that now. thing you told me to do because yeah. there's no distinction. It's now I'm talking to you, God, when I'm praying, and now I'm at work. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm always connected, just like a mother is with her child. Meaning they know we're maybe a little bit more limited in that respect. But I'm saying she always knows there is that latent." content, that idea, that it's always present. Something that rung important to me was when you spoke about Kedusha holiness as not being something aloof or separate, right? But Kedusha holiness is, is in the everyday. And just because Rav Soloveitchik has been my study this year, I've been looking through his filmish, when he defines holiness and he talks about holiness, he's looking in the book of Leviticus, right? In the book of Vayikra, and he's talking about all the rituals of the temple. And then we break in the middle to some, you know, commandments around morality. And he says, beautifully, sacred, sacredness is not limited to the temple, where the sacrifices are offered, but also to the places where chesed is par- uh, um, practiced, meaning chesed and ritual and and this idea of holiness is all it's all part of the same conversation it's not it's not separate and that that is a really i think profound teaching well i i'm gonna i'm gonna drop some knowledge here i've got a little torah with me today um i was struck by the idea of how we as jews understand holiness right world religions and entertainment teaches us that to be holy you go sit on a mountain 
or you go sit in a secluded place for 30 days. Um, but when Moshe was talking to the congregation, the assembled Jews in the desert about holiness, he brought everybody together. And it was a point to make, to, to, to really do two things. One is to democratize holiness, that holiness can be all of us. It's not just our leaders. And that two, that holiness is found when we're together, not when we're alone. The, um, the writer Khatam Sofer also said that there's no such thing as holy aloneness. It's holiness together. And if we think about work and projects, when we are working with our peers and we're all serving Hashem in that moment or bringing our best selves to that moment, we can really achieve great things. I mean, we all see it through the lens. I'm sorry. I see it often through the lens of sports and teams that are working well together versus maybe the star athlete who's not a part of that team. But I know that at our company, when we're humming, we are building on each other. We're learning from each other. And each of us is bringing our best selves and our best intentions to solving the problem that's right in front of us. But Judaism is not an ascetic religion. And if you would ask someone, what would be the ideal way to connect to God? Would it be to have a job? Would it be to have a family? No, he said it would be going off to a mountain for 30, for 30 years and just having meditation and doing what, quote unquote, you know, navel gazing. But anytime we do go into that service, anytime we do have that holiday, anytime we do have the opportunity to connect on a, quote unquote, more spiritual dimension, it's all about bringing it into this world. God wanted, the Midrash says, the rabbinical teaching says, Adira betachtonim. He wanted a dwelling place in this world. He has angels. He has what he wants, people. He wants us with our foibles. He wants us with our, our, with our faults. He wants us when we are struggling at work. And he sees value in that. And we need to see value in that. Because if we start to make a distinction between good and bad, we say that, oh, when I'm davening, when I'm praying, when I'm studying Torah, then I'm a good Jew. Then I'm a good person. But when I'm at the business world, it's kill or be killed or it's... No, it's really, that's when it really shines. Yeah. And that's when our, our, our traditions can really inform. And if you look at what you're doing with that sense of pride and seeing that this too, right here, this is what needs to be done right now, it changes everything. Kedusha as kind of a community is a beautiful concept because if you think about that in the work mindset, right, we're talking about that you can achieve greater goals when working with people, mm -hmm. right, but that's when you have the melech, the king on top, you're looking towards Hashem, right, so if you have a team of people working, but not for their own, for their own glory, I'm going to close the deal, but or I'm going to, I'm going to be the one to save the day or make whatever it may be, but you're thinking as a team yeah. towards a greater goal, then that's, you can achieve real success, and it's the same thing in terms of Kedusha, as you described it, that Kedusha comes not by sitting in the mountaintop by yourself, but like the, the, the gathered community mm -hmm. that's coming to receive the teaching towards something greater, that, that's, a, that's a real takeaway. I want to ask Dan a question. In terms of spiritual work, you know, sometimes we could look at others and feel like it's a competition, but then once you get grounded and see what's really true, like we're all on the same team, Mike Uziano, you know, that, that, that Team USA story, we've mm -hmm. told that, I believe. I don't think we have Michael Rizzioni. Rizzioni By the way, sorry. We, we put on a Wheaties box for the anniversary of, of, the, the, of the Miracle. The Miracle on Ice. It was, a, it was a amazing. I, I mean, I, I don't recall the movie. Uh, you know, I, Miracle was the, the movie. Miracle yeah. was the movie. And until the coach got them to finally get on, that, on the back of their jersey, wasn't their last name. It was USA. Once they realized who they were, 
they, you know, when he, could you remind me, can you remind me again? No, it's, that's the essence the, of the essence of the it. It's like yeah. he, when you, and again, it's not losing your identity. It's taking your identity and realizing your part as a greater whole. How does that work in corporate culture when there is competition, when there is, you know, real bottom lines? Because in spirituality, once you start realizing that it's, there is no bottom line. The yeah. bottom line is showing up. And I'm saying in work, you know, sometimes, you know, the effort or the the desire to do good isn't enough. You're going to have to produce. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Well, I think part of it is um, I'm balancing sort of this this dual idea. One idea is the idea that the best manager is a teacher, and that your job may be to solve that work problem in the moment, but it's as Tim Ferriss says, it's to make yourself irrelevant. Right? It's, to, it's to help the folks that work with you to be able to be their best so that in, in a sense that you're irrelevant. And the flip side is it comes from a, a book, Pierre Kavot, the, the, the teachings of our fathers. And one of the bedrock teachings of the hundreds in that book is that, that Benzoma asks, who is wise? He who learns from every person. Um, and there was a, a scholar from Prague, the Maharal, who says um, – He comments on this by saying, if you desire knowledge in the hope that it will mold you into a better person, then you are wise. So he's saying not that you want this knowledge to win the deal or you want this knowledge to, um, you know, make a profit that year. But no, you want that knowledge to make you a better person, which would then ideally have all those extra byproducts, happy employees, better bottom line. But at the, at its core, you're working on yourself. And that that's when these ideas of holiness and these ideas of mentoring can all come into the workplace. And I think that's the only way to, to, to I'm sorry, it's one of many ways to uh, attack the problem you raised. To be a real leader yeah. in, in the business field is to practice what you preach. You know, I, I'm going to just throw a, 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 boy, like a wild card out here just because it's striking mm-hmm. me. One of the things that... Um, I'm struck with in, in, in Jewish learning is the notion of Ein Sof. And Ein Sof, for those who don't know, and I would ask the two rabbis at the table to maybe explain it better than I could, but it's just this idea that in order for Hashem to create the world, to create this opportunity for us to be holy, he had to withdraw a little bit, to create a little bit of space. And as a manager, what I have seen over 20 years is that I do my best managing and I see our clients do their best managing When instead of leaning in, they lean back and they give space and they give room and they give the resources for their employees to grow. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or wisdom on the notion of Ain Sof or on the notion of removal and creating that space for people to find their own growth or their own holiness. It's the Kabbalistic concept of symptom, of restriction, Mm -hmm. where you're holding back, but really the desire is to give and to empower and to allow that person to flourish, to achieve who and what they can ultimately become, which requires tremendous humility, which is something that maybe we, we lack somewhat in this, in this, in this generation, but to have that humility to say, it doesn't always have to be about me. And it's about bringing up the other, because through this other, through my employee, through my coworkers success, I'm also being successful. And especially in spiritual matters, 
but it's all part of team. It's all part of working for the, and you might not agree politically and you might not have the same, uh, you know, religious identification, but at the, the, the core idea is that we are working together at this. And if people feel that way and feel emboldened to do that, then they can thrive, which is ultimately the goal of making the world a better place. I was just struck by that idea that by ultimate giving is by, by stepping back and letting that person, you know, shine or thrive. And that's just, you know, it's like the opposite of what you would think. Like you want gifts, you want to be given to, but ultimately by stepping back and letting, you see that with parenting. I mean, when you see that in work, it's the same idea. Giving your child the opportunity to do it themselves mm-hmm. is ultimately the greatest gift you can do. And that's just, that's really profound. And giving them the resources, right? So part of it is also as, a, as an employer, you know, you have to, or you have an opportunity to send your employees to trainings to give them the skills that they need to succeed. Whether it's a junior employee, how she can become a mid-level employee or a, a mid-level employee, how she can, or he can make that, that leap, that, that giving them the resources. And to bring it all back to sort of the Jewish lens, in a sense, God gave us the, the toolkit. Right? God gave us the, I think you called it the revealed and the hidden Torah, um, that is a, a, a guidebook, a, a spiritual guidebook for, for how we can improve ourselves and others and the resources that we can offer them. And just when you talk about your definition of mindfulness, you, you've mentioned this, that it's not judging, right, in the moment, oh, yeah. right? Because I think the struggle is when you're in that moment and you have your perspective on it, then you see it in a certain way and then that's inserting yourself into it. And I think what we're talking about here in, in terms of Kedusha is being able to put yourself back for a moment, right? This symptom, right? retracting yourself to be able to see a bigger picture. And that's a non-judgment, I think, of mindfulness. Can you, you know, clarify, am I on the right path here? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's definitely something that we're all tasked to because naturally we're going to be judging. The mind is constantly in a state of, do I like this? Do I not like this? Am I threatened by this? Is this a fight? Is this a fight or flight situation? Mm-hmm. We, we've been developed and our brain has sort of gotten that where we have our automatic and automatic, you know, that automaticity, which we have to start to be aware of. And our sages deal with that in, in the ethics of the fathers. It talks about Alta din and chavercha. Don't judge your friend till you get to his place, which is impossible. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say don't judge. It says when you notice that you're saying, you know, you're, you're going to be judgmental. It's going to happen. Then remind yourself. Just catch yourself and say, I don't know this whole story. Mikomo is his place with his unique familial upbringing, with his, you know, cognitive abilities, with his emotional skill set, with the, the fact that, you know, the, the, the cat taxi driver yelled at him today, right? I'm never going to get there. So I don't know. Again, requires that humility. And we could try to find out. But when we notice ourselves judging, we could catch ourselves. We could see it. And then we could say judgment. Here's judgment. And then we can relate to it more kindly. You remember the movie Groundhog Day? I do love that movie. Right. So Bill Murray's driving the pickup truck and he's got the groundhog in front of him. And the groundhog's sort of fake driving the car and he's saying to the groundhog, don't drive angry, don't drive angry, don't drive angry. (laughs) And how many times have we almost pressed sent on that email or if we've gotten the howler coming at us the other way um, where um, one one of our community friends, dear friend and teacher, Rabbi Judah Dardick, used to always say the same thing, which is like, you have no idea what happened in the last half hour before you met that person, what they went through, what they're going through. Um, and you know, it just, it's a reminder that I, what I love about what you said is it's okay to judge. What's not okay is to put that judgment into action. You have to, we, 
are challenged to find the ability to press the pause button and then think about why we're judging or think about how we're judging rather than just blurt out, you know, something negative about the person. And that's everything. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'd ask us to maybe think about everything. It's it is, everything. It is. It's everything. Yeah. Because yeah. well, it's right now. It's Kedusha, my friend. It's Kedusha. It's, 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 am I going to consecrate this moment with, you know, real presence and real authentic, uh, well, yeah. Well, well, I want to close with just um, another saying from the same section, chapter four, verse one of of sayings of our fathers, Pirkei where he says, "Who is honored? He who honors others." Um, and it goes back to what is it? The love you make is equal to the love you take, or love you take is equal to love yeah. you make. I think Chris Farley once said, "The <laughs> love you make. is it true?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but but who's honorable? I right? know it's the Beatles. Who, who is honorable? Who is holy? He who shares the honor. He who gives his holiness. And I think one of the lessons for us here is is okay in the moment when that email comes, when the phone call comes. When somebody's at the conference table, are you able in that moment to say, who is this person? Where are they coming from? Yes, I can have like a maybe a snap or a Malcolm Gladwell blink opinion on the moment, but it doesn't mean I have to act on it. And that Cabot's in and others would say, no, 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 you can be present in that moment, but it doesn't mean you need to react in that moment. And you should, or we can honor the person on the other side of the table or the person on the other side of the email. And by giving that honor, what I have found is oftentimes it comes right back. Oftentimes pausing or giving the person even just a minute to hold their pain or hold whatever they're struggling with and not judging and not snapping. Just letting them be them for a minute, oftentimes it'll come right back. Beautiful. I think that's measure for measure, meaning in the sense that if you can look beyond yourself Put your, your, your takeaway, what you thought, how you feel about it, and just look at another person in the moment, then that reflects back on you. Just to wrap it up, just listening without an agenda. Really just noticing how we have our biases and our wants and dislikes. And if we could really tap in, like you were saying, Dan, those questions of what's really true right now? What am I believing right now? And then just really being with that person. And, and saying that that's what that's all I need to be doing right yeah. now. Yeah. And I'm not listening to the Jaws music, you know, of like da 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 da. Something something bad's gonna happen. And it's just like no, this is happening right now. And I can bring my full because that's really all we want. We just want to be seen. We just want to be seen. We want others to see us really as we generally are. Not a, not on our Instagram accounts, but as we really are. And when we see that, that is that is real love. That is real presence. And that is how we can be effective. Educators, effective therapists, effective CEOs. Well, my rabbi, Rabbi Danny Ginsburg, who I get a chance to learn with, uh, as we were talking about holiness, he said the Netivo Shalom wrote that all of us are required to be holy. Not all of us have an option to be holy. All of us are required to be holy. And finding that holiness in each other and finding that holiness in these moments and finding that holiness in the gap that allows us to be holy, I think is really all of our challenge. And then figuring out how to do that when somebody's yelling on the other end of the phone or when somebody's showing up at the laundry and they're not happy with their dry cleaning. Um, I think that's really the challenge for all of us. Well, thank you guys. Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein, our, our fearless leader. Rabbi Jason Rosen. And my name is Dan Cohen. And we look forward to joining you next time here on the Mindful Work Podcast. Mindful Work.